0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Anna McEwen. I'm a homeschool headmistress, the mother to Grace, Eve, Jack, and Esther, an actress by training. I am married to the host of the What's Essential podcast. And today, episode 101, we are turning the tables. For the first time, this Q&A episode has me asking the questions to Greg. Last week, Greg announced that this episode, episode 101, would be the last of the What's Essential podcast. He got personal. But before I ask questions to Greg, I have some questions for you. Have you ever felt a pull to go in a new direction? Have you ever felt the fear that comes with that unknown? Have you ever felt the vulnerability that comes with exploring that new vision? If you have, you're not alone. It takes courage to go on a new journey, a new adventure. And as we all know, courage can feel awful. In this episode, you will not only learn what's going to happen next with this podcast and how that can help you get to the next chapter in your life, but also feel inspired, as I am, watching and working with Greg to write the next chapter ourselves. Believe me, I have felt the intrepidation myself. So, with that, let's get to it. Greg, welcome to the What's Essential
1: podcast. Oh, that's so great. That's so great to hear you make that introduction to me. And it's very kind of you to do it. And it, of course, is especially great to be with you and to be with everyone today.
0: Occasionally, you start this podcast by saying, I've been thinking about you, meaning the listeners. What have you been thinking about them this week?
1: Okay, that's a great question. Um, Last week, I announced that today would be the last What's Essential podcast ever. And I invited people to tune in this week to hear what's next. Of course, it's not the last time that people will hear from me on this feed, but it's certainly an important inflection point. But the result has been that I've heard from so many people about what this show has meant to them. So it has been easy to think about them. We've been talking, of course, about Shakespeare because of this new adventure for me back to England. Well, for both of us, Shakespeare, of course, used so many turns of phrase that we take for granted now. It's an extraordinary long list. As good luck would have it. I mean, he coined that the term break the ice, Hmm. Uh, fair play, too much of a good thing, wear one's heart on one's sleeve. I mean, we just use these phrases as if they're completely just commonplace. Well, I suppose they are, but he's the one that put those phrases together for the first time, brought it to the world. And one that I especially love is the term mind's eye, you know, as in, I can see you in my mind's eye. Hmm. He created that. And I have been able, I think, to see the listeners in my mind's eye this week, in part because some of them have told me exactly where they listen to the show. People have said, well, I'm out there on my morning dog's walk. That's where I listen to the show. Some people, a quiet walk on their own on the beach. Uh, I, I see listeners on their commute on the train. I see them driving to work. I see them listening as they run. I do, I think, see them, or at least try to see them. And it has been easier this week because I've heard from so many of them. And I feel very grateful for that outreach, but also because of them investing that time and being on this journey. It's very meaningful.
0: Well that's a perfect segue because I wanted to read some of the messages that have come in and hear your reaction to them. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna start with Jennifer Halloran. Forgive me if I'm pronouncing these names wrong. Today's episode has changed my life in an unspeakably profound way, with deep gratitude.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just so touching from Jennifer. I, I don't know what's behind that. I mean that 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 phrase, unspeakably profound way. I, I don't know what the story is behind that, Jennifer, but I certainly feel touched by it. But I also feel for you. It means that you have had serious things in your life that have happened and the the chance for something new to happen in the future, the next, And, and what courage is on show, even in those words, to admit that, to allow that change to happen, to not say that, well, what I've done in the past, that's what I have to do in the future. Who I've been in the past has to be who I am going forward and that's what I think of as I hear this is, is as you said it perfectly, Anna, that courage doesn't always feel good. I'm not even sure if it ever feels good, <laughs> but still that courage to try a new, to create something 2.0, 3.0 experience, a new chapter. That's what I hear when I hear Jennifer.
0: Thank you. Colleen Bahanan said, my second eldest died three years ago.
1: <sighs>
0: my life, of course, has completely shattered but each day I pick up a piece. I don't know what it will become. I don't know what I will become now that my life is forever infused with my child's powerful spirit, but I do know that I will figure it out. And you inspire me to keep on putting one foot in front of the other. I'm writing a new chapter with my child shining bright through my eyes. This particular podcast happens to have been just what I needed to hear. So thank you for your work and for your words and for putting yourself out there for me and for all of us.
1: That just makes me think three years ago, that's when Eve first was getting so sick. And so I feel a connection maybe beyond words to what Colleen's describing here. But of course, this is even tougher because I don't know of anything that could be tougher than watching the passing of your own child. And, And it says something so beautiful about Colleen's ability to go forward. That she even can express these words, even put them into words. It's probably taken her some time to even be able to express the unimaginable things that she has experienced. And and then this idea that she is now forever infused with her child's spirit. What a, a beautiful connection. What a way to find meaning in the suffering. I have thought recently, and maybe this is what I want to say to Colleen directly, is we can't change the past. There are so many things we can't change, but what can always change is what something means, whether it's tragedy as in this case, or maybe it's mistakes made or we've been harmed in other ways, one can never change those things, But over time they can mean something they didn't mean before. Sometimes they can mean, that we went in a direction we never would have gone in before. Maybe it can mean that we became something better than we would have done before. And I feel very inspired by that and believe in that from Colleen's example. These are, these are very, what are you doing to me, Anna? This, mm. is, this is too much. This is too much, but it's beautiful. Thank you for taking the time to share those and find those.
0: Of course. Thank you for those who shared with us. There is another phrase by Shakespeare in Twelfth Night, Act Two, Scene One. The phrase is, come what may.
1: Oh, my. Yeah,
0: that's a meaningful phrase for us. What does that mean to you
1: at this juncture? Well, I want to put it back to you for a second, which isn't very right, uh, given that you just barely started being the one asking the questions. But (laughs) you just said that this means something to us. Tell us more about that.
0: Well, honestly, I mean, I can't remember if this was something we came to in our marriage or if I if I had discovered this before we were married, but it's certainly been a part of our approach to life. A wise person once shared that his mother would always say to him, come what may and love it. I think he remembers hearing it the first time after losing a a significant football game, and it was very meaningful to him. And and yet that that had a profound effect upon how he approached things. I, I remember a specific story when he and his family were driving some long distance and they took a turn, a wrong turn, and didn't discover it for, I think, two or three hours. And when they discovered it, they all laughed.
1: That's not what happens to me, generally speaking.
0: (laughs) Or me. I mean, we spent the first year of marriage driving around the United States and Canada. We, We... drove in a, a car <laughs> across the United States because of because of the show that I was in and- Well
1: you were, you were the understudy for Belle in the National Tour of Beauty and the Beast it took us 24 cities all across North America and Broadly speaking, that means we had many opportunities to be lost.
0: Yes. <laughs> it was before GPS, I think. Yeah. I think yes. it was before GPS. Oh,
1: for sure. <laughs> it
0: was definitely before smartphones. And so we had an atlas and we made many wrong turns. And sometimes we were kind of on a time crunch and laughing was not our default. And yes, so, yeah, this I must have heard this story after that because I remember going, oh, yeah, I don't do that. Can I do that? Is that even possible?
1: (laughs) Yes. In it is a very deep ethic. Come what may and love it. it. Says this, you can't control the future. You don't know how it's all going to be. Even as you try to craft and build something and bring a vision about, you're not in charge of it. You're not in control of it. Many things happen. And so the ability to not just roll with it, as one might say, but embrace it ahead of time. Come what may and love it. Whatever comes, we've already decided we're going to love it. That's a powerful, resilient principle and and decision.
0: Well, forgive me for the tangent, but it reminds me of something else that you have often said, which is, I think you're quoting someone, but a person who can turn a negative into a positive can never be defeated. And come what may and love it is exactly that.
1: Yeah, that is because it says even if the next thing that happens is exactly not what you wanted. (laughs) If the next chapter begins with something different than you would have done for yourself, you believe that at the very least it can be turned to your gain. And maybe you go beyond that, the idea that whatever comes are exactly the raw materials you need to be able to achieve what your vision is. In fact, it was once explained to me this way, that the moment you have a vision, the moment you set a new goal, a new target, in exactly that act of creation, you also create all of the opposition. (laughs) Like they come into existence at exactly the same time the moment you say hmm. i want to achieve x your mind produces for you all of the things that will get in the way of achieving x and so that's one of the reasons that we get so discouraged so quickly when we consider a new a new goal a new aim a new possibility and the key is to discover that that's your mind's best attempt at giving you the stepping stones necessary to get there it feels just like opposition but actually these are the things that must be resolved these are the things that must be addressed to get there so it's your mind trying to be helpful so i think it's recognizing what feels like opposition as actually being a deep friend <laughs> you know the mentoring of life
0: yeah it's true optimism what you're describing are tools to actually be an optimistic person to have an optimistic approach.
1: Yes, I I think you're probably right about that. I can't help but think of what Colleen has said or this Shakespearean phrase, come what may, without thinking of just radical gratitude. That if life hits you and you don't fall down, you're grateful because you say, well, look, I was given the strength to stay standing. But if life hits you and you do fall down, you're grateful. You've been humbled. You believe that that was absolutely necessary. Perhaps the only path that would lead you to become what you need to become, to achieve what you need to achieve, to build what you need to build. I think that is what deep hope is about. I think that is what helps you to be able to keep going because you believe that everything isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. When I say that out loud right now, I feel like that's tough medicine. To believe that that's true when some of the things that happen can be so painful, so hurtful at times, to believe that these things are still for you to take you forward. Uh, But I do think that paradigm shift is what helps to be able to face the future with a great deal of newfound courage to be able to achieve something special. For the listeners, for me, for you, to be able to fulfill our highest contribution.
0: Yeah, I have thoughts about that. Go on then. I think what you're describing, when I think of my own life, it's a way of imbuing suffering with purpose.
1: This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <laughs> Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg.
2: This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So,
0: I don't believe that all the challenges we have are, are constructed for us exactly, because we're all imperfect people and we're all making mistakes all over the place, you know, and did that person's hurtful mistake, was that really constructed for me? I don't know. People can, you know, have their opinions about that, but can it turn to a purposeful growth experience for me? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely and it's when i forget that that suffering becomes just suffering i'm not growing anymore and it's hard to break free from that or to feel empowered to make a different choice or to believe that it's ever going to end but when i search for purpose it does change the mindset you know it's what you've been talking about it's come what may and love it like what from this experience can serve me and help me to serve others So that it's purposeful. Like, that is a a plea that I have. It's like, please let this suffering be purposeful. Let it bear good things and good fruit eventually.
1: This is logotherapy. I mean, that's what you're describing. This is Viktor Frankl's life's work, which he began before going into Auschwitz, before being in the concentration camps. Of course, he was a Jew, a psychologist, most famous for having written the book, Man's Search for Meaning. But that story he tells, and with ancestors myself who were jewish suffered enormously in a whole variety of locations it's an unimaginable book he describes in detail this terrible terrible suffering that he went through that other people around him went through and all the way through this these dehumanizing experiences and in fact he talks about Experiencing layer by layer these challenges that he describes in that book. All these things he believed he could not live without, that he could never endure. And then he lived without them and did endure them. Just even the sleeping conditions, what you imagine you would have to have to be able to sleep. As someone who can find sleep challenging and has through my life in various ways, to hear the description, we're not talking about being on a, an uncomfortable bed. We're not talking about being on too small a bed. We're talking about people sleeping on wooden slats so close together they cannot move. They cannot move to go to the bathroom, they cannot move in any way. This is completely dehumanizing. He could not imagine being able to sleep under these conditions, but they do. There is this adaptation that takes place. And what gets him through is this vision, this belief that one day he will be able to get the manuscript back or at least rewrite it that was taken from him when he came into the concentration camp, that he'll be able to write it again. And he has this vision that he will one day stand and teach the ideas to other people and be a great blessing to people. I mean, that's what got him through meaning, is what got him through. And he went on to introduce a whole new form of psychotherapy, not just looking backwards to understand what the past means in order to be able to adapt to it and to process it in more healthy ways, which is more like the traditional psychotherapy. But this new version, this this forward-looking therapy, What do you have to live for? (laughs) And he says sometimes as he went on to survive and to then write that manuscript up and to teach it and to work with people, he found that sometimes what that meaning looked like was different for different people. It could be very small things. I live to be able to look after my dog tomorrow. I I live to be able to see my children at the weekend. If something helps you to be able to rise up, in that sense, when I say what's our highest point of contribution, I I think I am saying something very close to Frankl. What is your highest meaning in life? What is it that you can do? What is it that's being called forth from you now? Life is suffering, but there's something within us that is stronger even than that suffering. And I think part of that strength is that meaningful mission and contribution that we can uniquely achieve. I love that. That got intense, didn't it?
0: <laughs> but good. It's a good reminder. I need perspective in my life. And that is certainly restoring of perspective.
1: Well, you're good this way. You're, you're constantly searching for perspective and being centered. And I mean, you'll say it quite often to me. I'm trying to seek wisdom <laughs> or to see this wisely, see this compassionately, see this correctly.
0: Well, because I feel the lack.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, speaking about meaning and why we're doing things, Greg, why the change? Why the change to the podcast?
1: Right. Yes, that. Um, I mean, there's a couple of behind the scenes reasons for making this change. The first is a practical change. There has been a change of ownership of the show itself. I will now own 100% of this show going forward. And that gives me an unbelievable opportunity, a creative freedom to create the show that I really want to create, That's that I feel pulled to do. A, a complete vision for what I think is important and and, and how I think I can be most useful to listeners. So that's the first change. And I mean, I want to thank everybody in the Wheelhouse family who has been a part of beginning this journey. I'm thinking of Brent Montgomery, Ed Simpson. I'm thinking of Jim Gentleman, Paul Dyson, Daryl Christen. I'm thinking of Leah Sutherland, Avi Gandhi. Without them, we would never have got to this point. But also because of them, we have a chance to now go to a completely new level. They've been very generous in allowing us to build the new podcast through the same feed. So that means that every single person listening to this right now will be able to access the new podcast as it's created and as it's released. You don't have to subscribe somewhere else. It's right here and you'll be able to take this next journey with other people and get them to listen too, and we'll go from good to great and we'll do it together. And that just makes me think of the real the second reason this change is taking place. And that is this mission to be able to explore this new research in this new area. Now, the thing I haven't shared about it, the thing that I've been so well, it's not that discipline, but I've had to show discipline not to talk about yet, is what the new interviews and new subject matter will be. And it's going to be around subjects of negotiation, of conflict resolution of peacemaking. I mean, the vision of this new research at Cambridge isn't just the research. It's not just the book that I'm already writing that I want to be able to bring to the world. I mean, those are steps in the journey. The new interviews with someone who has either already changed my life or someone that I am so hungry to interview because I'm desperate to learn from them about the subjects of this new research. But the vision, the thing that I think can be both life changing and maybe just impactful in a new and special way, is to be able to help people everywhere, including myself, to learn how to be able to understand each other at a time when divisiveness is so strong and polarization so real. And I don't just mean in social media, although, of course, we see it there. And I don't just mean in actual war which we, of course, also see. But I mean in those conflicts at home uh, between people where we never wanted it to happen, but it still does. Where We want to get beyond into a better way of living together when our needs can be met better and their needs better. There's so much suffering that takes place in this space. I mean, this space of relationships. We desperately need relationships. We suffer if we don't have them, but sometimes we suffer when we do. And so we're caught in this tension. And of course, as soon as you start to even take the path of the essentialist, you are immediately faced and confronted with conflict. Because if you think something's essential, that is not in any way the same as someone else thinking it's essential. They may have a completely different idea of what matters when it matters, how to do it, and in what order. And so the very moment you get clear about what you want, one of the obstacles that comes into being immediately is other people's opinions. And and the idea that an essentialist is someone who just drives through, pushes everyone out of the way, forces their will, that is not what I have ever wanted to express to anybody. And it's certainly not what I've found to be useful in life. But instead, the ability to get clear about what's essential to you, but in a way that you learn how to negotiate with other people, to listen to them and understand them deeply, to see what's essential to them that's not obvious, so that you can serve, not just serve others, but serve them in small ways that make big contributions to them, because you're addressing the right issues. So this area of relationships and communication that conflict resolution, that negotiation. This, to me, is the richest area of life. It's the source of our greatest pains, but also the source of our greatest potential joys. And and these are the interviews that I want to do. This is is who I want to learn from, the best in the world, the world's greatest peacemakers in in all kinds of industries.
0: Well, I'm excited.
1: Now that I'm on a roll with it, it makes, me, it makes me think of something that happened the other week. I woke up early on a Sunday morning and I had a, a, a presentation to prepare. But instead of that, I felt pulled instead down a whole nother path. And I won't get into all of those steps, but they all sort of crescendoed into a thought that just popped into my mind. And the thought was, I wonder where Jimmy Carter lives <laughs> And it turns out that he lives in the same house with his wife, Rosalind, since 1961, a house he built with his own hands, which just is incredibly impressive to me, given my questionable skills in that area. And the thought comes to call him because putting all politics aside, what he's done post his presidency is exemplary. It is the pursuit, whether you're Left or right, and I'm just politically independent. But put all of that aside, what he's st- tried to do is to serve. And particularly in creating international conflict resolution initiatives to be able to go and try to find peaceful resolutions. I mean, as we are all witness to right now, everything, just about anything, is better than war. So if you can avoid it, even if that takes sacrifice, Uh, You want to do that. And I I had the feeling of just wanting to thank him. And and as I feel pulled and called even to this new direction, I just had that thought, just wonder what a word would be from him. And within 10 minutes of that thought coming into my head, I was literally talking to him on the phone. He, He talked about the Camp David Accords. He talked about how they thought that they had found peace between Israel and Palestine and what he felt had happened afterwards and why it didn't happen in the way he'd hoped. And the progress that was made and the choices people made. And I found the whole interaction inspiring. But I also found it symbolic afterwards. When I hung up the phone, I mean, I just had this feeling of like, what is happening? I mean, it was obvious to me that I hadn't had this conversation for him. <laughs> he didn't need that conversation today. But for me, it was this evidence, a, a, a tangible special moment that this direction is the right one. Keep going in it, come what may, and love it.
0: While watching you on this journey, that's one of many evidences. That one is particularly sticky, for lack of a better word. It's Mm. it's impressive uh, that he was home and available and that you were able to contact him. But it's wonderful to be with you on this journey, Greg. And to see these special moments, this is one of those great moments, the the easy to love moments. Mm -hmm. And these are the moments we hold on to when the tougher moments come along, when the obstacles are there. And we have plenty right now (laughs) Mm -hmm. as we prepare to uproot our family and move to England in the next few months. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you sharing that story. I know that story, but I love hearing it again. I love that we have the challenge ahead of us to come what may and love it.
2: Hmm. It will be
0: a challenge and we need courage right now. And it's a challenge at times. I'm excited for this new podcast. I'm excited for the the things that you're going to learn, that we are going to learn together for the experiences that lie ahead.
1: When you just said that, what came to my mind was a feeling of like, it's right like this direction of this podcast, it's right. I want everybody listening to this to, to come with me, to come with us on this journey. Um, it's not going to be some surface journey. It's going to wrestle with our hearts, with our vulnerabilities, with our weaknesses, with my weaknesses, with the mistakes that we make, with our assumptions we make of each other. But even in our marriage, we have to, we're working To be able to understand each other better and and the struggles of that. You said something just yesterday, maybe the day before, that was so beautiful. You said something like, What we need, Greg, is to to develop a third language. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not the same as just saying, Not your way or my way. Let's find our way, which of course is a third alternative type way of communicating and working together. But a third language is more profound than that. That's saying, Right now, I, Anna, feel like I speak one language and you speak another language. We're not talking accents here, but just the deep differences that exist in people as different as you and I are. Yes. The idea of a third language. I mean, it's daunting, first of all, but it's a beautiful idea. And and there's going to have to be so much unlearning and learning. And the thing that I want to offer, even though I don't really want to offer it, is a willingness to be honest and vulnerable in this journey. Uh, I'll tell you right now, it would be safer to me to just carry on in what we could say sort of traditional essentialism subject matter areas. I mean, life is good with that. In one sense, I have no business whatsoever going off and doing a doctorate at Cambridge. It it makes no sense. No one's asking for it. But but you're willing, and that is courage. And, oh, my goodness, how grateful I am to you for not just thinking, oh, he's just crazy.
0: No, I don't think you're crazy. And I know that I could kill it dead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that is, that's a side to Anna that just was revealed there that's less appreciated on this podcast, I'll tell you that. It's uh there's sort of two sides to Anna, and they both work together to make a very yin and yang kind of amazing person. And part You're of it is so the,
0: kind. You're so kind. Part <laughs> you of speak it, so kindly of me on this podcast. I appreciate it, it. Is the
1: is the sort of the gentle <laughs> side, and then there's this other steely side, uh, which is like sort of German. Say it as it is.
0: I do have German heritage. Clearly.
1: Yeah, and you could have done. The it's kids absolutely call it true.
0: my air horn, they'll actually impersonate an air horn when I <laughs> I say certain things, but... And
1: you just say it, just boom, and you're no, not really... but, ch- but you, I could. You could have done.
0: You know I could. Because we don't do things apart. We need to be united and aligned. You,
1: you could veto it in one second.
0: Yes. And you could veto things for me, too. I mean, it's, we really do try and support one another, and, and we recognize that we can't do it alone. That's just not how we operate, and... If I'm not on board, it would be so miserable if, you know what I mean? If if it would be, we try it would and
1: be impossible.
0: So this is a journey. This isn't this isn't easy for me, but I am on board and I am all in with it. And I tend to pay the price up front and see all the negatives up front. And that's part of how I process things. And so
1: I just want to come back to the questions you raised at the beginning. Have you ever felt pulled to go in a new direction? Have you ever felt the fear that comes with that unknown? Have you ever felt the vulnerability that comes with exploring a new vision? I mean, this is such a clear yes to me, to you, and and I'm sure that everybody listening has felt it. And, And I think that's really the note I want to end on is that you listening to this conversation, you are not alone it does take courage to go on a new journey, a new adventure. And and, and as, as you said, Anna, before so perfectly, we all know that courage can feel awful. And I think it basically always does. But only in that journey can we discover our truest self, our truest mission, our best and highest contribution. Most sincerely, I just invite everybody listening to come on this journey together, to learn together, to be able to build together meaningful relationships and meaningful lives. Well, that gets us to an interesting point, I think. We've come to that time again, the end of the show. But as I say that, of course, it has a double meaning to it this time around. And I just want to thank you again. Thank everybody who's been on the podcast so far. All of those guests, all that have shared, everybody who's listened, everyone who's participated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. We are just beginning the new podcast with a new name, with a new format and structure. Some of those things I've shared and some will come. But if you have found value in this or any episode of the What's Essential podcast so far, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. This is episode 101. And here's the crazy invitation is that the first 101 people to write a review of this episode or any, whatever your favorite episode has been, will receive a signed copy of Effortless. All you have to do is send a photo of your review to info at gregmckeown.com. That's I-N-F-O at dot And if you remember only one thing from today's episode, it's this, come what may and love it. Tune in soon to hear the first episode of the new podcast. We'll see you soon.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit.